and welcome to So Farscape. A fun-filled Farscape fancast by a fervent fan. And a frankly fascinated first-timer. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this, and this is, is the story, story so far escape. So welcome to episode 305. And oh, wait, I'm getting a what? message from Pilot saying that there's a solar storm incoming and there's oh, going shit. to be a problem with the communication systems. Oh, uh, the comm system is frailed. It's going to be frailed and it's going to be like bad quality sound for the... Uh, oh my God, we're going to sound so different. Yes, <laughs> oh, it's no. a terrible solar storm. It's still going to be totally listenable though. It's just like th- these solar storms, do you know how they cause technical difficulties? They, they last for a while and then the problem goes away again. Yes, exactly. I'm sure it'll be fine next time. But in the meantime, hold on to me, Luck Marukabi! Luck I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And this, this is story history so far. Oh, very good. Yeah, very thank good. you. Yes. <laughs> oh, yes, we are back with episode 305, Different Destinations. First aired on the 13th of April, 2001. Oh, and in this episode... Okay. It's a really normal episode. Right? It's like, it feels so weird. It does. <laughs> it kind of feels like a regular TV show almost. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. I know, it's almost... Well, actually, that's a really good point. It's... This is so close to being Star Trek, right? Mm. Accidentally thrown back in time. Oh, no, we have to set right what once went wrong. But... With a twist. Yes, I because suppose, it, yeah. it, because it's Farscape. It's it's very distinct. Actually, in the uh, in the Visual Companion article about this episode, David Camper talked about or like it's written down in text, but I could sort of hear him whining. We're not trying to be different from anyone else. It's it just, just happens. It just happened. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we've got some lovely synopsises from our listeners. Sarah says, when our resident ghost whisperer creates a 4D history ride for the team, they Marty McFrell it up. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, we meet a legendary cook, Jewel gets pissed, ah, and Crichton gets a woody. Oh dear. Mm, that's not how I remember the Alamo, but this phlebotinum only works once. And Jenna says, if you're unfamiliar with the meaning and origin of phlebotinum, you know, I know that I've promised to Google stuff. This yeah. one... I thought, oh, I know that. I know that. That's what they thought caused oxygenization before they realised about oxygen. But no, that's phlogiston. So no, that's a different I think thing. It's in the same the same region as unobtainium and a raritanium and stuff like that. Ah, okay. Yes, yes. Noun, phlebotinum, uncountable, science fiction. A fictional material used by authors to develop a plot requiring a material with properties not possessed by any real right. material. So, yes. yes. Unobtainium. Uh, unobtainium is rare. Yes. Yeah. Right. Raritanium and yes. And, and I guess phlebotinum doesn't have to be rare, it just has to have these special products. Right, yes. like that. Yeah, okay. It's in, so. same, it's in the same product category. You find it in the same aisle at the Space Walmart. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to cheer up somebody traumatised by death, both conceptual and specific, touring the alien Alamo is a horrible idea. The only solution? Joining the Stark Society for Creative Anachronism. Oh, you heard me. good. Do you know there was an actual... Uh, uh, there was a Stark Raving Mad Society, which was a little fan club for Stark. Oh. And they noticed that uh, uh, he had a, a meltdown, or sometimes a melt-up, just about every episode, and they asked him about that, but I thought it was adorable. Like, they were really happy when Stark uh, returned and became a, a regular cast member. Oh, yes. My time, your time, Philip urine can block pain. Sometimes you just have to let everything die to get over your friend's death. Ooh, thanks, Dreamscaper. And a partial corporeal whoopsie leads a history class into having an educated, uh, thorough field trip. And, oh, a yeah. to butterfly wing when you have a functional pulse rifle to set the record straight. Thank you, Axior, for that one. Axicor, sorry. Yes, yes, Axicor, a a, a listener who's been with us for a while and has uh, sent in their first synopsis, very happy. Also happy to see that name. Axicor is a cool character in the... I think it's an upcoming episode. Is that kind of spoiler? Oh. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Uh, Yes, I... Okay, so I remembered this episode as, you know, that was a pretty good episode of Star Trek. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. So watching it again was really quite interesting. Because there was a lot that I found, it appealed to me differently than it did the first time around. The first time around, it appealed to me a lot because of, like, the production value, the beautiful designs, and, mm. hey, hunky catmen. Yes. Right? Uh, Which has been a staple of our podcasting history since I we began. I was going to say, it's, like, it's, it's basically Klingons, but then cats. Yeah, yeah. 
Originally, oh, ooh, yes, I have the Creatures of Farscape book here. Dave Elsie wanted to go for a sort of Planet of the Apes kind of thing, but with different apes, and that didn't feel right to the uh, the production crew. Mm-hmm. So they went with something more uh, fantasy-based. So they went for this, essentially, like Sean Connery as a lion man. And according to Dave Elsie, oh, yes. like, a testament to his work ethic that he sculpted Grimes over the Christmas break. He just took it home with him. Okay, yeah. And he really liked, like, taking work home with him on the weekends and (laughs) and on breaks because then you can just sit there and quietly sculpt and listen to the radio. You don't have people coming up, where's the brushes? Where's this brush? What colour goes here? I mean, it's very Ron Perlman as well, as in... Uh, yes! Uh, Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast, that's... Yeah, the, the 1980s production where he was so gorgeous. Okay, yes. Uh, and it was such a romantic show. It was. Uh, so, yeah... Who was, the, who was the female lead? She, oh, was, she uh, played Sarah Connor as well, right? Right, yes, her. Linda Hamilton? I think so, yes. That sounds right. Yeah. A very young Linda Hamilton at that point, but yes. Gosh, that show... Does it hold up, do you think? I think I watched, rewatched the first episode, like, six months ago or something Ooh, like was that. was very slow, very, like, incredibly slow. Right. I mean, I had the same thing when uh, we watched an episode of Moonlighting with a very young Bruce Willis. Oh, also, yeah. extremely slow-paced by modern standards. Yeah. Like nothing ever happens. Like, it takes forever. Like, I wonder if that's just... I mean, obviously, television has picked up the pace right. in terms of, you yeah. know, speed and, 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 and density, and certainly budgets have permitted that. But I wonder if it's also an aspect of, like, they're both romance shows, really. Yes. Right? Moonlighting, very much about the, the the chemistry between those characters. I remember Beauty and the Beast as being almost Byronic in its romance. Oh. Mm. Lord Byron right, and the yes. sort of tragic hero, and you have the community of underdwellers. Very much so, yeah. Okay, that has nothing to do with this episode, except for the hunky cat by the gorgeous right. lions. Yes. It's, actually, they kind of skimped on the uh, makeup budget by only actually having two hunky cat men, really, and the rest of them yes. wearing hort masks. They kind of were like what sand people of tat- Tatooine. <laughs> Although I don't really, not really want to combine the thoughts of like cat people and the sandbox. <laughs> well, I mean, that is probably the situation that they find themselves in. No, no, it's not exactly a sandy planet. It opens with like beautiful shots of. Uh, oh my god, that was like uh, so beautiful. We remind me a little bit of uh, Avatar. You know, not quite the floating mountains right. yet, but it, it does have that same kind of landscape that you get. Yes, I see what you mean. So they're all of these almost like natural columns. Yeah, it looks absolutely fantastic. And it really makes me wonder how in those fight scenes later on, how do these people get up here? This is like sheer cliffs and they're standing up the walls like these archers or these spear throwers they have. Like, damn, there must be some strong weapons <laughs> to be able to get those spears up like that high. <laughs> Well, I guess, I mean, I've seen footage of walks along older walkways, like El Camino Real, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think, like, leads up to a mine or a gold mine or something. And it's this rickety, like... It isn't El Camino Real, that uh, street that runs all the way from, like, Washington down to uh, San Diego. There's lots of... I mean, it's just the King's Road. There's lots of places called oh, that. Well, I thought, like, like in California, like, you have this, like, El Camino Real. You've got one in San Francisco and in the That's Bay Area right. and in Los Angeles, but it's actually the same road. It's just, like... Oh, OK. It's just that one road that runs... Well, it's, like, like the, the Provincialamet, the provincial road in, in the Netherlands. Like, you've got those all over the place. But yeah. it's just, like, it's planks sort of nailed into the side of a... a oh, a, a, a I, sheer, I know what you mean, yes. Those, right? Like, cliff walks, and like, we're literally talking cliff walks here. Yep. Like, you're only allowed if you're a goat. Well, and, I mean, that was how people got to work and brought their lunches. And so, you know, yeah. you see you see Chinese ladies and, uh, you know, elderly ladies in, in, in mountain towns just walking up sheer cliffs like, yes, like mountain goats with uh, with huge bubbles on their back. So, so yeah. The, the answer to your question is practice. Fair point, yeah. So the crew is basically vacationing here they are on this planet there's like something that needs to be readjusted in Moya's uh, humors Paul still needs another arm to fix condensers I'll let you know when he's done uh, and it's going to take about an hour and I guess they just like decided like oh we're just going to go to the planet and visit see the historical site yeah. yeah maybe take our minds of all the dramatic things that have been happening this memorial rocks come on check it out I like that I mean you've kind of got to right true you, can't, you go stir-crazy. I like that they go out and they go out shopping and... Oh, yes, that's what uh, uh, that was Stark says. He's got some new clothes. He's got a... Oh, yes. Zan bought these. 
bought them for me. I know, and you look great. You look like Astro Boy. Like, he's just sitting there, like, showing off his new clothes, and John says, well, he looked like Astro Boy. Like, you look really yeah. I actually don't like the new outfit as much as the mm. previous one. Like, he had a slightly longer coat, and that was better, and this looks like... I agree. Like, the, the high shoulder things, it doesn't really suit him all that well. I mean, it's a fancy boy tunic. True. Right? And... Basically, there's like this museum dedicated to like it's a it's an old monastery and it was dedicated to the, the big battle that happened here in which a peacekeeper actually managed to broker peace. Wow, they're finally doing what their name says. Yeah, they're finally doing what it says. Yeah. <laughs> which which caused the prosperous times and peace on this planet, and they're just like wandering around. And rather than having a guided audio book tour, they actually have these like visor things, which aren't just like augmented reality. No, no, they are genuine time travel, uh, time viewing machines. You'd think that these have other applications than just like in a bloody <laughs> <Yeah>. monastery. <laughs> They've designed these goggles so you can look back into the past at the old monastery. We, we don't really get an explanation of why they're there or how they function. But they are genuine time viewing yeah. devices. This sucker is a tear in time. It links to the past. It looks back to the actual moment when the event occurred. So they just may be naturally occurring sort of views into the past that, I mean, maybe this is a common thing, that every planet has some soft spots where you can see in the past with the, with uh -huh. the correct equipment. And you generally just leave them alone because no good can come from it. And everybody who figures and, out time they, travel and they goes... And they didn't get the message on this best one. Best not. Well, apparently they'd never interacted with Bannix before. But right. before we get to that, I, I really love this scene where we've got John trying to convince Dargo to put on the goggles. Check it out. John, what are you talking about? There is nothing You have here. to put the goggles on. Come on, take put, a look. Put the goggles on. You want me to look? Yes, through the goggles. Dargo's a bit skeptical. He doesn't like Viewmasters, I guess. No. And you've got Jewel and Aaron bickering. Having a bit of an argument, yes. Because Aaron is so excited. This recording device is accurate. I learned about this location memorial. Well, need I say more? If you learned about it at military school, it's certain to be Farker. And oh, oh. This, this is a historical site. Like, this peacekeeper who died here is like a, here, a peacekeeper hero. 500 cycles ago, 30 peacekeepers lost their lives defending this monastery, and sub-officer Dakin is one of our greatest heroes. Propaganda for morons. I don't believe... Ah, ladies, some decorum, please. This is a peace memorial. Let's not kill one another. She learned about it in school. Yeah. Right? And she's got the historical record here. Like, apparently, even though this is in the uncharted territories, this is part of, like... It's a peacekeeper legend. Right. Yeah. It's part of the, the sort of canon of, of history. I mean, in a multiplanetary civilization, billions of events happen per year. You mm. kind of have to select what you're going to uh, what you're going to explain in school. I mean, yeah, clearly for the peacekeepers to maintain their, we are pe actual peacekeepers. I can imagine that this would be a pivotal thing that you would have in your textbooks. Yeah. Yes. This is exactly the kind of thing that they are at least professing to be. Yeah. Well, if they actually are that, because I still think they're just a bunch of tough thugs at this point. But hey, there's a there's difference between the individual and the institution, and, yeah. and you know, the politics of power are, are complex and the complicity. But what I love is that Jewel, she's sort of nagging at Aaron because she's like a, a late first year college student. Right. You're wrong, you know. Bullfrail. You're wrong. Bullfrail. You're wrong if you'd only... Sub-Officer Dakin stood right up there. The device says right up there. Guts pouring out everywhere, bleeding, and yet he still managed to initiate the peace process to save the nurses. Bullfrail! Peacekeepers have always been a manifest military contagion that has raped and pillaged. They haven't died for any nurses. This is a silly little story to help naive children sleep at night. You know what would help me sleep better at night? No, this is completely wrong. The, the peacekeepers are a manifest military contagion, which... Woof. She's deep in that... Uh, froth of like having a little bit of knowledge and therefore thinking that she knows everything. You know? Yeah, she's learned the term military industrial complex and now everything is part of the military industrial <laughs> complex. Like, yes, you're right, but not always. I also noticed that she uses the term bullfrel. Bullfrel! Which seems a bit okay. <laughs> <laughs> if it was bulldren, I could like exactly. imagine it a little bit better, but. <laughs> Well, that's how you get baby bulls. I'll explain well, it to you yes. when you're older. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it, it's beautiful. You've got these banners with an emblem on it that I don't fully understand. I mean, that must be Jocation, because that's the the species that right. live here. They're the the nuns in the historical, which are the the local quote unquote humans. Uh, yeah, they look sebaceanoid. Well, yeah. basically no difference. And then there's the Venex, who are uh, uh, we see two live. Yeah. God. 
Oh, check it out. This is the nurses surrendering to the Venic Horde. Can they see us? I hope not. We never see a female Venic. They must be gorgeous as well. Yeah. I mean, maybe they're under the masks. Maybe they're the, the mean ones. Oh, yeah. Well, they no. I'm... They're the horde that needs to be contained. Oh, no, let's not get sexist here. It's like... No, exactly. We've been we've actually been over this in our, our variety of hunky cat people stories that we imagined in, in Cover My Ass. And we sort of imagined it as a quiet matriarchy. That, yeah. That's the, the boys sort of stand in front, but then actual like right. policy is determined by... determined in the back. Yeah. It's a very... Uh, do you know Oglaf? The car- oh, yeah. The, the very sort of 18 plus, but very funny. Right. Yes. So there's one... Uh, episode where they like it's a riff on art in games and fantasy art in general where basically the males of a species always look like the species and the females of the species kind of look like human females yes kind of like colored and with a few traits pretty girls with a set of ears on their heads exactly and then the you've got all these monsters going on about like why do you, what human males, they look so weird. They kind of look like everybody's female, but except without any traits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, hey, what's your theory why they haven't kicked Jewel off? Who is that creature? That's ballast, ignore it. Oh, why would they? I mean, they're, she doesn't have anywhere to go. Yeah. She's just like, essentially like Shana got on board, you know, they decided to stick around. Like they, they literally, they actually brought her on board. So I suppose they figured they have at least obligation towards her. Right. Because they got her on board. They brought her away from that planet, which I believe is now interesting because there's like now like several thousands of people still in those frozen pods without a doctor or a other caretaker around to ever let them out again. Effectively. Moving swiftly onwards. <laughs> yes, yeah, so moving from one like existential horror to uh, another. to another. I love that we have Chiana on the ship. She That's, and Rigel have stayed I, behind. I love that scene. That was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, she Chiana shows an amazing range of emotions uh, in the scene when she like goes wandering into Zan's quarters, which also burned. They have been burned for a while. Like that during the burning of, of Moya, most of the places were, were repaired, but Zan's quarters, like she, she quartered in one of the burned sections. Right. Yeah, that's where she spent and the she, last days. Yeah. She finds uh, Rigel going over the remains of Zan's stuff there. And they have this great exchange. It's like... What are you doing in Zan's quarters? You know why I'm here. Same reason as you. And why am I here? <laughs> We've seen them do this before. We've seen them like, but it's different now. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because like she, right? She asked like, Rigel, what are you doing here? Rigel goes like, same thing. You are, uh, yeah, a um, conversation they've had before. And then she clearly tries to save face, quote unquote, by yeah, yeah, of course I was going to come here to steal this stuff. Yeah, that's right. Well, we're sensible, you and me. Leaving this to rot won't bring Zan back. And then, yeah. and then it gets turned back again when Rigel, although he professes that he was like here to steal, so he's clearly also there to just like reminisce a little bit. And at least I got that feeling from Rigel right that towards the end. That is great. Yeah. Yes. Like I got, okay, what I got was that they'd gone there sort of out of habit to, yeah. to sneak some and then realized, oh, they don't want to. But I think I actually prefer your interpretation that they'd both gone there just to sort of feel their loss of Zan and yeah. be in a space that reminisce was a little bit and and they couldn't and, admit and it to each other I think but yeah they're so, so like Rigel still says like yeah the same thing you are which they both interpret wrong but then they're still right because they're both uh, two, two wrongs make a right in this case I don't want it no neither do I oh yeah they've come so far like Chiana is very capable now that she has someone oh. who's more petulant <laughs> yes. than, than her to be the new kid. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that interaction between her and uh, Jules. Just like I'm not calling her Red Sonja anymore. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bit of a through line of like people taking care of each other. Like John tries to encourage Stark to view this as well because it's a, yeah. it's a moment of peace. And he you. goes like, yeah, have another mask on top of your mask. <laughs> yes. And yeah, though, though it's beautiful, it's like, it's this like really peaceful thing where everybody was like brokered peace and everything is happy and they're having a beautiful ceremony. And he then, has literally just said that the time tear sort of snaps back and forth between two moments, yes. the moment of peace and the final battle. And <laughs> yes. guess which one's on the Viewmaster when Stark started on the... Uh, I don't want to. No, 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 it's okay. It's a moment of peace. 
It's the very thing Zan treasured most. Can you see it? I see so much. <laughs> and screaming and screaming. Oh, the, the Stark Raving Mad Society was very happy. But there seems to be some kind of interaction with his Stykera energies. Yes. As a consequence, they're, they're surrounded by this light. Everybody screams. And when they wake up, it's nighttime. There's very different sculpture in the center. Yep, there's torches burning, yep. uh, and there's the sand on the floor rather than a nice tiled court. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, it looks different. It looks very much more lived in and different. Jewel is very impressed. Like, this is amazing. This is the best virtual simulation I've ever been in. It's so real. It's, it's so... Incoming! Get down! Get down! <laughs> Dago, Jewel's hit! And then she gets shot in the arm. Yeah. <laughs> An arrow through, a flaming arrow through the elbow. Yeah. I mean, it'll, put the, I mean, it'll put the fire out. <laughs> yes. Okay. Then what's the benefit of the flaming? I mean, I suppose it's for when you're eating something that doesn't, like, immediately put, like, you, if you, oh, uh, yeah. you can set things on fire. Yeah. There's a flaming arrow attack of this monastery. Jewel is hit. Only then we get to go to the credits. Yes. Virginia Hay is no longer among the no, birds. No, and uh, uh, Marshall Napier is. Wait, who? Marshall Napier? Isn't that uh, Jules? Wait, where? Oh, Lucy Bell. No, wait. Like it's. No, 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 that's oh, after the credits. That's just, that's episode. Oh, right. So um, I'm, her I'm, name I'm, is, look, I'm looking at the Jeeves. We're yeah. looking at the Jeeves. No, it's yeah. perfectly understandable. Uh, her name is Tammy McIntosh, and I don't think she'd be added to the credits. Okay, so I was wondering about that, if she was on the credits already or not. And I kind of thought she was from the uh, looking at the Jeeves here, but it seems that... Yeah, after the credits have finished, like, there's still a few names that they yeah. uh, that they mentioned. So, I mean, in, in season three, like, they're adding the uh, the title card as well. So after the Farscape logo, then you see different destinations mm. and... Go back to the scene where Erin, very smart, like she's making sure that everybody's safe, getting them out of cover. You move over here, let's go. Come on, in. Don't touch me, man. If you don't move, move you die. Oh, it's Dargo, same deal. Yep, she does the right thing. She actually snaps the head of the arrow and then pulls it back out of the wound. Pulls it forward, through, right? No, I think she's actually pulling it back. So I think she snaps the head off and then pulls the shaft back. But yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. She does that immediately. Is that what you need to do? Well, Going back to CPR scale. Generally speaking, first aid. Unless, yeah. yeah, if there's something stuck in there, you leave it in there. Yeah, leave it for a doctor. Right, let, let the doctors take care of it. But you know, that's clearly not an option here, and assume that... Uh, oh, that's right. Like, that, they have uh, no certainty of, like, medical treatment. Right, I suppose that Aaron has had a little bit of more training in that regard, how to take care of these things, being a, a soldier and all that. Immediately doing field dressing before right, the... Right, yeah. Arrow can do any more damage to but, the armor. Yeah, as usually for your first aid, is like whatever's in there, leave it in there, take them to the ER, let them sort it out. Because actually pulling it out can actually, the, the object stuck in there might actually be holding a, a separate artery shut. And right, pulling it out right. is going to make it bleed more. Oh, I remember a secondhand story. Our friend uh, Wolfie, whose uncle, I think, at one point, yeah, during the carving of a, a turkey, no, during a fondue event. You know how fondue, you've got those long right. two-time forks. And he was trying to like skewer like a piece of broccoli or whatever, and he skewered the broccoli to through his hand. Oh, lovely! Got the whole thing through, called up, and this was like between Christmas and New Year's, so there weren't <laughs> a lot of places taking patients. And it's not a very critical, so they just had them bandage it yep. uh, with the, the thing still in there, and yep. got in the car and drove over. Yeah, you'll probably have an easier time going. Home. We're not sending an ambulance for something like that. Oh, no, no, no. coming out. There was a terrible, terrible traffic jam which they decided to skip and driving over the hard shoulder, which is yeah. you know, not a very legal thing to do. No, but like you'll get pulled over for it. But if you then go like show someone with a fork through their hand. That's why he that's... just had it out the window so you, everyone could see, I'm not being an asshole, there's an actual... <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, so here comes what is now my favorite part of this episode. John tries to explain to Aaron. Figure out what's going on here. I know exactly what's going on. Someone is trying to kill us. Uh, Aaron, I think Stark's mask might have pulled us sometime into the past. Kind of figured that one out. Uh, the, the, the Stark's energies must have interacted with the time terror and sent us back in time. And yes. Aaron's like, yeah, I figured that out. Yeah. And so is Dargo. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't change anything immediately. Like John's right. If we change anything here, change the past. The future might not happen as it's meant to. And we won't get back. So we don't get back, but I'm not dying just so that things don't change. All of them are just completely ready for time travel, which they've never done before, and they're already, we've got to make sure that we don't affect the timeline. Nobody's questioning that it's impossible. Or, yeah. Right? I love this. 
it's extremely sensible. I mean, I guess they have shows involving time travel in uh, the uh, Uncharted Territories as well. Uh, oh, wow, yes. There must be entertainment <laughs> shows that deal with this. Like, they are actually a little bit genre aware of where they are. And Yeah, true. Oh, another beautiful, like, this episode is credited to a writer whose name now escapes me, but the writer wasn't available for... Uh, Steve uh, Warland. Oh, very good. Says so in the Jeeves. Oh, yeah. You're so cunning. Yeah. Uh, so it was sort of rewritten by the, or it was refined and polished by the rest of the team. And you can hear some of uh, David Kemper's economy of language, which I really enjoy. So they realize where they are, so that when they're approached by some peacekeepers in sort of funky ancient helmets, who goes, who are you? Are you our, our, our backup? Aaron goes, yes. yes. I am Commander Sun. This is Sub-Commander Crichton. The Luxon is a mercenary. I love that strategy. <laughs> boom, boom, boom. Just straight uh, straight to the point, completely clear. It gets a report from Officer Tarn, I think. Whom she asks if the, he is the folk hero, at least that uh, she expects him to be. Yeah, Sub-Officer Dacon, of yeah. whom she's, uh, she's heard so much. These uniforms are really interesting. They've all got this sort of circular emblem in the middle that looks like it's constructed of like circles and wedges. You know how the mm. Peacekeeper logo is yeah. a, 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 a diagonal slash with a hollow circle and then a wedge in there. Yeah. Really you like that imagery. Turns out that, no, the subcommander is just the cook. Uh, the, the cook is the yeah. hero, apparently. I'm a cook. I like to think about food. But for a reversal of the hunt for Red October. Yes, I suppose so. <laughs> uh, and we get a fantastic fight scene. The Horde is trying to overrun the monastery and everybody is in their element, especially Dargo. And I loved, I really loved how Dargo shines here. He doesn't, he, yeah. he's, not, he's not overly brash or show-offy, but he really works here. And just, yeah. just not just in this fight and scene, but all along the, the, the rest of the episode. He is just fantastic. His, his behavior is Absolutely perfect. Great. He is- He's just, mature, he's caring, he's, you know, he's got his eyes on the ball, he keeps in business. And he does some fantastic background eye rolling in one of the lasers. <laughs> you just see him standing yes. there like, oh yes, he's like. And he gets to use his sword as a sword. Finally, use, useful, yes. Because the peacekeepers, a, a detachment that was here to protect the monastery and that has asked for backup, they asked for hundreds of soldiers, they informed them that somehow the Venek horde who is attacking are jamming their pulse weapons. Yes, but which is apparently a thing that was doable back then. But turns out that modern pulse weapons have jam protection. Their plasma frequencies must only work against primitive recharges. And what about Dara's Qualter rifle? It's as old as most of the weapons around here. I dazzled fire. And which is a working. sort of cool division which Aaron and John conceal, because then, you know, they'd have to explain where they got these advanced weapons from. Yes. So just a little bit of backstory here. There's a was a caravan of healers, uh, nuns, I suppose, which yes. were like on the way. They nuns were, and orphans. And they were being uh, met by the uh, peacekeepers and like they herded them towards this little monastery to keep them safe from the horde. And the horde is now trying to like attack them. It's laid siege to these mountains, as uh, their general later explains, because of drought, which yeah, that I, sense. that is such a fantastic motivation for a war that no one wants, mm. right? You've got to have water and nothing, like, there's no other option there. Yeah, it's like, yeah, we're going to die if we don't, so we need to get water one way or the other. My soldiers used to share the waters of the Critlan River with the cities on the plateau. Now our supply has dried, and we're dying. So this is about water. Inside this mountain is the source of the river. If we don't gain access to it, the horde will attack the cities, and millions will die. Now, why the solution isn't, oh, okay, well, have some water then. That part, I don't These mountains get. seem green enough, but then again, they might not be in the time that uh, it's taking place. Right. It's described that the mountain is the source of the rivers yes. that they used to... It's a bit unclear, but it's probably, like, if it doesn't make sense to us, it's probably that they were explaining it wrong in right. the heat of the yes. moment, you know, omitting some facts that seem obvious to them. Also, these cat people seem to be fairly instinct-driven, as the generals at several points lament that they have difficulty controlling their horde. Yeah. This may be sort of related to, like, uh, hyper-rage among Luxons. Right. That it's, uh, or Klingons in general. Sort of like the Berserkers. 
right? Yeah. A particular tradition, I guess you describe it, among Vikings and some other people, where certain warriors would, through religious fervor and drugs, elevate them into a state of just frenzy and the fearlessness in battle, which could be advantageous to a group, but it's also like you've got to keep that under control. So this may be something that they actually try to trigger that in their soldiers. Right, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those double-edged swords that you yeah. have to like, you can trigger it, but if you do it at the wrong time, then you've got some battle-enraged cat people who are now yeah. very difficult to keep in hand. Yeah. They've, got to, they've got to have an outlet for it once you've got, it, yeah. once you've got their Irish up. So Aaron explained that the sub-commander took an arrow to the everywhere and uh, as he was like delivering a uh, proposal to the uh, general and the general was like right now after the battle the general is out there talking to his troops convincing the other generals to offer a peace because he has seen during this attack that there's only women and children here yeah there's no honor in attacking this turns out however the general is actually still here since the yes. nature of the fight changed yes not only did all the peacekeepers not die because there were still peacekeepers, namely the backup that our yeah. heroes have pretended to be. But also, yes, the general did not retreat. He's uh, he's on the ground, so he's tied up. And this is where we get that uh, that exposition from a sexy lion daddy, short yes. Connery, essentially. <laughs> yes, the horde is bloodthirsty and almost impossible to control. I'm trying not to be a barbarian. John makes a plan, but that doesn't quite come that because first we have a scene with Jew who is like being shot through the arm gets offered some anesthetic which he's quite skeptical about at first is that sterile oh god probably get hepricus you drink this why it'll dull the pain at least maybe now I don't have shock but then when she finds that it really is the good stuff, she's quite enthusiastic about it. Do you see how he, she drinks? It's like that husky with his face down in the water. <laughs> Blowing bubbles. Yeah. That's apparent. And she makes a sort of trilling noise, and that's apparently just how interiors drink. Yep. Oh, hello. Do you feel this? Nothing. <gasps> Look! This is great. I've got to get some of this to bring home. What is it? She really wants some more of that stuff until she finds out what it is. One part water, nine parts fellow urine. <laughs> he made me drink beef. <laughs> so Tammy McIntosh made a bunch of choices here. Like she came up with that style of drinking uh, at a dinner party. She had some friends over the night before and she sort of, after a few drinks, they sort of came up with that. Oh, I'm going to do that. And then here she also decided that this anesthetic was going to make her a little bit tipsy. Because, like, she takes a sip, yeah. and she goes, oh, yeah, that does... Whoa. Oh, this is the good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> she kind of reacts like someone's coming up on ecstasy when you feel the first shiver going through you, and it's... Whoa. Oh, yes. Yeah, have some more of that, please. <laughs> or I guess the first time you put one of those head massages on a dog. Oh, yes. And, and they just sort of... Melt. <laughs> Until she finds out what it is. It's one part water and nine parts... Phelip, you're in. Yes. I don't know. We don't know what a Phelip is, but... Phelip's a creature on Tarsus, and they get the nectar from... Aaron, please. Phelip's a creature on Tarsus 6. Oh, actually, yeah, we sort of do. I mean, the Phelip nectar yeah. is sort of like beer. Oh, yes. We have Phelip shanks. Phelip nectar. Phelip juice. Phelip beer. Don't. Tell me where it comes from. Just drink the beer. As Darren just played. Oh, Darren. Darren? And yeah. also here, yeah. it's it's mentioned again. Like, a, a, a fellop is a sort of... So apparently they have fellops that they can get nectar. And isn't nectar a plant thing? Nectar, I suppose, yeah. I mean, nectar is usually the... Right, the precursor to honey. Yeah. That's what the little yeah. hummingbirds want. Right, yes. And the bees and the... Hmm. Huh. Now, Aaron hangs out with Dacon. She's got a little bit of a hero's crush on him. Yeah, which... I mean, she's crushed by it as well because she she has to sort of correct him on like stay stay out yes. of out she's, of she, eyesight and she quickly learns that he is not the hero that he was made out to be by the history books. He's a he's a cook. He's not a warrior. He's just yep. like there and doesn't really act particularly uh, warrior hero esque. He, he does come back to that later. He does yes, at the end because he is a joiner. Like he asks her, "Why did you join up?" Yeah. And she says, I didn't. And then he immediately assumes, now this was interesting, he assumes, oh, so you were, yeah, I was born on a ship. Not conscripted, like right. uh, like Grace was. Yeah. 
So up to now, we knew two ways that Sebaceans became peacekeepers. Either you're born as a sort of mandatory reproduction to fill the ranks, or you're conscripted as uh, as Kraysmals. But mm. apparently, it, at least 500 years ago, uh, it also joined. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. You would still That would still be an option. Right? She feels a lot for this young man, though. Like she, it, And he's like he's a charming young man. He has this these lovely, like... I don't know, cow's eyes, right? Very, very innocent, he does. kind, so he's helpful. A, he's got a lovely face. Yeah. And uh, she was very protective because this is, as, as she says... It's easy to be fearless around here. This is what peacekeepers are meant to do, help the defenseless. You'll be fine. Dargo is trying to bully Stark into, like, using the time site and to uh, find a way back and sees <laughs> that things are not quite going as right. Whereas... <laughs> he uses Jewel as a sort of probe, asking Stark, where's the portal now? And then he just tosses Jewel, Jewel first against the wall. <laughs> well, that was obviously wrong. And so we know the second or the third attempt that she actually managed to throw her through the rift. And she pops through the rift, which apparently anyone can do at any time, as long as you know where it is. I guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. It's like... And she falls into mud. Mud! You want to know about mud? I know about mud! Guy knows mud. And has, an, has a pissy fit. She acts like a petulant child. Yes. Uh, she has like, oh, I didn't sign up for this. It's like a little bit like the emperor in uh, The Emperor's New Groove when he's in his llama face. Cusco. <laughs> That's his name, yes. Oh, Tammy had so much fun with this. Like, she was instructed by the hair specialists who had just constructed these incredibly expensive and costly wigs for her. No. Like, took her actually by the throat and said, you... I'm not bringing that wig anywhere near the mud. So she sort of tricked that poor woman into leaving the set for a bit. And she went, quick, quick, roll it, roll it. She rolled around in the mud and she, like, it, the wig was utterly rude because it took like 10 hours of washing and drying and oh, recurling. Man. And she was so happy that she could do it and her hair mistress didn't talk to her for three weeks. <laughs> Meanwhile, John is talking to the general, whose name I failed to catch. Grinds. Grinds. G-R-Y-N-E-S. Uh, I mean, in the sheets that I'm looking at, he just looks really like, uh, what's his name again, from Cats. Are we going to name all the cats again? No, I'm just talking about the old one, Deuteronomy. Old Deuteronomy, he, he yeah. totally looks like old Deuteronomy here. That was... I mean, my canonical memory of Cats is the 2019 CGI right, film with the buttholes, but... Yeah, <laughs> no, that's, that, that, those were added in later oh, by a uh, fervent fan. Yes, Old Deuteronomy is actually really good because he, like, at first he talks to Crichton as a peacekeeper and Crichton doesn't dispel this like he doesn't need to. Your superiors sent you into battle without an understanding of the antecedents. You really are barbarians. No, we're peacekeepers, barbarians, but your children. Yeah, fair cop. Yeah, good point. Um, having Jewel sent back triggers a scene on... Moya, after apparently Chana goes back to pick her up, because the planet has changed. Yes. Like, this is like, there's been a massive time rift, and now the actions of our heroes have changed history, and this planet is now torn by war. It's not the same here! They hear Jewel screaming through the portal before it closes, that it, it's different, it's different, because she can see that there are different banners, the yeah, statue the, is different. The, the, no, the statue, uh, in the original, there was this, like, big monument. Now the same statue's there, but it's toppled over. Ah, that's right. Yes, I want to talk about those statues because the, the big monument, I think, resembles the symbol that the peacekeepers had on their chest. Yes. It's circular. No, yeah, okay, yeah. yeah. But the big statue that was in the past, I don't know fully what to make of it. It looks maybe like a stylized Venic. Maybe, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's a Buddha-esque statue, someone sitting in a pose with their legs crossed. I mean, yeah, a lotus pose. Is that, oh, yeah, I suppose that's Sort right. of looked like that. Or as apparently as they call it in America, crisscross applesauce, <laughs> which I... I'm not making this up. It replaces the phrase which was usually uh, used and which was called Indian sitting, which is considered to be not culturally appropriate anymore. And yeah, uh, you're in Europe, we call it the tailor's pose. Oh, yes, yes, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, or at least in Dutch. I don't know how it right. is in other European languages. It's where you've got your ankles resting on your thighs. 
Well, it's like kind of tucked underneath it. Otherwise, you're talking oh, about close pose. That is the logo. Like, uh, yeah, well, that, that's, that's a difficult pose. Most people can't do that. Okay, so the two different teams, two different time zones, learn about the change time because Chiana aboard the, uh, aboard the ship is contacted by pilot. What's the matter, pilot? Why'd you come? Have you heard from Crichton at the memorial? Yeah, Drago called about an hour ago. He said Jill and Aaron were track fighting. That seemed normal. Why? What's the matter? Something weird has happened. Yeah, because the pilot has changed. Yes, when we arrived, we received welcome messages in the Jukation language, but now we're receiving messages to encouraging us to depart in basic okay. Venic vernacular. Yes. And in the past, it's Stark who says that through the portal, he felt a lot of death that he hadn't felt before, mm. uh, suggesting that millions, billions, billions, yes, billions, yes, all right, very many, we get the idea, died in the uh, intervening time that didn't die when they arrived. And that's when they figure out, okay, so... We frilled it up. Yeah. Crichton has a plan, though. Right. Yes, he's just going to send the general back to make his peace offering and, like, fix everything like that. A plan that he doesn't tell Aaron about. Like, he comes close. They have, a, they have yeah. an argument. But he neglects to tell her exactly what he's, what he's planning to do. Like, uh -huh. he just wants to be... He yeah. wants to be right. I guess. I'm not sure why he doesn't tell her... It seems like the kind of thing that she would go along with, but... Yeah, there's a, I mean, there's a continuing sort of note of mistrust mm -hmm. from Eren and Dargo that's left over from uh, from the last episode. Yeah. I do not trust Crichton's judgment. Agreed. So kind of what I'm getting this time, I, I think that Crichton wants to earn that back, wants to earn their faith back by uh, doing one of his cockamamie plans and having it succeed. Right. That makes I, sense. I think maybe he wants the credit. That's why he's not... Like, yeah. telling anyone. Like, 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 oh, I fixed it. So what he does is he dresses the general up as one of the nuns. Yeah, bonnets are always a risk, but it's the little touches to put you over the wall. Carries him towards, the, or like walks him towards the battlements. Yeah. Uh, has a discussion with the general saying like, okay, well, we don't want death and you don't want death. And the general says like, well, if there's going to be soldiers here when I return with my men, I won't be able to contain the horde. And he goes like, don't worry, we'll be gone. Yeah. Which is basically, a decent plan. It is a decent plan. Basically, he wants to return the timeline the way it was. Yep. The general convinces his troops that the monastery isn't a threat. They yep. get, it's not a military they, target. They can get out of the water. There's not going to be any soldiers there. And they can leave everybody alone and alive. Perfect plan. However, once he gets the general up on the battlements, one of the sisters shoots him, essentially. Yeah. Just basically blasts right through him with an arrow. General topples over the walls, goes crashing down, which, you know, must be quite a fall, considering you look at that shot. Yeah. It's like how those are like hundreds of metres of battlements. Well, even in the studio, like, the battlements were like 15 feet high. They built this whole right. uh, courtyard. It's pretty scary to film that stuff without railings. Fair point, yeah. We also have some uh, some really interesting conversations between some of the nuns slash orphans. Yes. Nuns talks with Dargo. Mm. Are the peacekeepers contracted to defend your world? They uphold all that's good. It's ironic we might have been safer if they'd never found us. Well, they're very mature. She asks him essentially to take care of her, wait, her child, so not orphans. Yeah, yeah. nuns and their children, I guess. That what the, you know, what the Horde does for, to, to, to children. She would rather that her child be at peace if right. the worst comes to worst. And can I count on you? Oh, I thought that's what she was talking about herself, that she was asking Dargo to kill her rather than her ch the kid. I think it was. Uh, I think it was specifically the child because she's the one who shoots the general. She's right. armed and she's fully expecting to partake in the battle and to you know die in that battle. Speaking of that child, Centrina, her name is. She speaks with Stark mm. and she asks him why he's crying, and he's crying over the bodies of the people who died in the last attack by the Vedex. Like yeah. He's buried them. He deals with the dead, and Centrina says, "You know, my, when my father died, I didn't cry." and there are no words. No, he just but, like kind of comforts her and helps her process that, I suppose. And you see, he's shedding he's shedding more tears. Mm -hmm. Like he's crying for the both of them. Yes, which is kind of a beautiful. I love that it's not said. It's like it, it, it <sighs> kind of shows Stark in the role that we've always been told about, and now we're being shown what he what it, what it yes. is that he does. Yeah, and he's channeling a lot of Zan as well. Yes, like he's really making an effort to to hug people and to spread messages of kindness. After the general gets shot, uh, John gets treated as a traitor because he was like trying to let the general free. Yes. He gets grabbed, he gets tied up to the statue. Uh, 
big argument about shooting him as well, which gets interrupted by a flaming message from the enemy. I loved this. It's yeah. a messenger. It's a message arrow. It's a flame mail. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> the AOL messenger flame mail arrives with a hologram of the second in command, an even sexier lion man. Yes. Jocation civilians and peacekeeper militia, hear me. You will never know how close to salvation you came, how near lasting peace you brushed. <sighs> Who goes like, well, I could have forgiven you killing our commander because it was like in battle, but you dressed him up in your woman's clothes. You and... disgraced his body with dressing yes. him in a... And yet you kind of get it. Like, how could they interpret that except as a mockery? We will return his corpse to you. Yes. But defiled and disgraced and we won't let him wear his own armor. So this kind of like messes up their plans. Yeah, everything is worse. It's way worse than it ever was. And like, they're basically, yeah, we will like attack at dawn. You have until the stars go out to make your peace and then everybody's going to die. And now we have the calm before the storm and a truly beautiful yes. tracking shot that follows first uh, Dargo, or first the, the nuns and then and then Dargo, past Stark, and then Aaron is sitting with Daikon, appreciating his cooking. Yes. Apparently he made some uh, yeah. attack that she really appreciates. Mm -hmm. And Harvey V is mingling with his troops. What? Oh, it's like, it's like Henry V is in one of the Shakespeare's <laughs> plays where the king goes into in disguise and mingles with the troops on the eve before, on the night before battle. Oh, it's one of those undercover boss things. Right, yes. It's, uh, I guess like that's another thing that Shakespeare invented. Oh, uh, <laughs> yes, we have like Harvey playing the uh, harmonica. Yeah, because all over this long shot we hear a harmonica lonely playing Home on the Range. range. Yes. Which uh, is, I guess, I mean, okay, so my first thought, like, okay, who's playing the harmonica? And I, my first thought was like, Okay, John's got on harmonica and he's now playing this, but no. Then no. you see John tied up with his arms spread. Okay, like, then who's doing it? Yeah, and it's like, and then you see cowboy boots. Yes, and, and they're on sort of leather pants, and, and, and it's, it's like, oh, it's Harbeach. Which is brilliant. It is, but I thought it was interesting because I kind of figured that Harvey would be down with what's going on because, like, he's been wanting to die. He's been wanting to like. I, like, I have served my purpose, I'm still in your head, and, like, I want out. So you'd have thought that he'd be happy with the situation. Like, oh, yes, go thank God. We're all going to... Everyone's going to die in the morning. Oh, my existence, my painful existence is finally going to be over. Well, he did approach John about a, about a new detente True. In, the, in the last episode. No more dumpsters. Yeah. Like, he's he's starting to, to sort of value his existence beyond being a tool. Fair point. Yeah. Right, which was very scary for him at first, but which apparently he's come to appreciate. Like, he also appreciates these treasures that he can find in John's mind. Because he says that, like, this tune that he just played in this cowboy boots... If this situation hadn't reminded you of all those old westerns you watched as a youth, I never would have heard that. And what a... Wow. <laughs> also, those boots, yeah. they say Andy on the underside. Oh, damn. Because he's thinking of Toy Story. Right. I didn't catch that. That is fantastic. <laughs> he kind of like has a little back and forth to uh, with John. Actually gives him an idea, but doesn't quite flesh it out for him. Yes. He talks about all modern research, which I love that the peacekeepers, they have a time travel research department figuring out whether it's possible yeah. or, yeah. Shows flexible timelines, you know, the time wants, wants to return to the way yeah. happened and if you kind of like nudge it give it the opportunity to do so it'll kind of stretch itself back in, in the right space same people same venue yeah. same motivations you'll get the same outcome yep it talks uh, about i love the terminology all modern research points to the elasticity of time rather than a brittle framework so we have to find a way to kickstart this thing and soon when the horde attacks at dawn Events will vector further away from the reality you and I both know. Once again, David Kemper, the elasticity of time versus a brittle framework. Yes. Whoa. And then followed by John having a conversation with uh, Aaron about basically the same things, like how can we fix this? He, he's fairly apologetic about like taking matters into his own hand. I mean, more apologetic that it didn't work, not exactly that he did it. Yes. Because he's like still convinced that the plan could have worked if it hadn't just gone south. 
And she's firmly chiding him, like, this was a bad call that he made. And, like, she takes some convincing for his next plan. Oh, yes, yes, what you were saying? Crichton asks Harvey, okay, let's just leave time. Got any suggestions? And Harvey declines. Yes. Not this time, John. There's been so much change. What with you here? Grind's dead. I don't want the consequences of catastrophic failure resting on my head. Even though, like, this is the first time that John has actually invited Harvey, he summoned Harvey mm. for his advice, and Harvey declines because he doesn't want the responsibility for all those deaths on his shoulders. Yeah. Wow. But John, like, he decides that he has to do something, and he tries to convince Aaron Dacon has to die. And it's Aaron who thinks otherwise. Oh, what you think? I, I'm stupid that I don't understand what you're saying. Huh. Sub-Officer Dakin does not have to die. Like, Aaron, she now recognises him. He's just a cook. He's one of those defenceless people that we're here to help. She does have still a little bit of hero worship for him, despite the fact that he is, like, the cook and not the almighty hero. But It's a bit of both, isn't it? Yeah. Like, on the one hand, like, she really values him, and she also just wants to protect him now as well. And she probably also wants to throw him. I mean, they're not under attack, they're, no, but they're like they are you making see, eyes at her. We have him more at her than the other way around, but still, like she, okay, fair enough. But we know Eris; she only gets battle horny. True, but you know, there's another attack is coming up. This might happen. They have until the morning, so everybody has some more conversations. We have, oh yeah, Centrina, the girl, comes up to uh, Dargo. Hello. You're scary looking. You should have seen my father. And they talk about death. Yes. The, the, the girl says that, my mother says that after you die, that if people remember you, then you're still around. Well, your mother is right. And then she's worried about, like, who's going to remember me after I die? I know a secret that will guarantee it. Dargo offers her the option, well, if you just carve your name on that wall, and whenever anybody sees that carving, they will be thinking of you. Yeah. He offers his non-breast knife. <laughs> uh, yes. Of course. Which is not a great instrument no. for, like, anything else. Carving, yeah. It's like, anything else would probably do just as good a job and wouldn't ruin a knife. Yeah. Anything hard and metal would, yeah. Then again, he's used his quarter blade for cutting rocks before, so maybe they just have better yeah. material science on, on Luxa. Yeah. Let's see. This is. I think it's the night before the storm right now. Are we already having the attack? No. Yeah, no. We're, what we're doing is Aaron complying with Crichton's suggestion is trying to sue for peace with the Venex. Yes. Uh, so she's walking up to the battlements with Dacon, who has to send this spear with the message on it, and she insists on doing it herself. Like, she just mm. doesn't trust uh, John, or isn't convinced by John. She decides, I'm going to send the spear, and Dacon takes it from her. Yes. Right? And she says, you should throw it from here. And she says, no, we've got to get it right up to their camp without killing anyone so they can take the, the, the message. <clears throat> Can't take the risk. She goes, like, I'm a better shot. I can throw that thing better. I don't want you to get hurt. No. And Dacon says, better me than you. Like, you're the superior officer. Yeah. No hesitation. And you can just see the sort of love and... and, and admiration in her eyes. Sub-Officer Dacon, you are a soldier. A brave hero. Yeah. What a wonderful thing it must be to see one of your heroes and to actually, like, see them being worthy of it. Step up to the point where she, okay, so now I now see why he is the hero despite being the cook. Yeah, this is a, a, a hero figure that, that I revered during my childhood, and he's worthy of it, and, he, uh, and, and, and I will continue to live up to him. Yeah, so he throws the spear, immediately gets shot through by an arrow. Yeah, that timing, like, they've got some good snipers down uh, there. Oh, totally, yeah. And he falls down. We cut back to the future where things are even worse now. The yes. planet is actually on fire and there is no microbial chemistry, says... Yes, uh, it's like it, we have the broken uh, moons of Cheshireen uh, going on here. Very good! <laughs> very good, Cheshireen! <laughs> uh, and things are cracked up. There's a little argument between Chana and Jewel about who should go and t take care of things, and Chana goes like, oh, your arm isn't it like bath? Like, oh, yeah, it kind of still hurts. Like, where does it hurt? Does it hurt here? Yeah, that's where it hurts. And she whacks that right in the spot. Yeah, she's really putting Jewel in her place. Which st starts Jewel scream again. And here I'm thinking like, okay, the screaming seems to be like a, a, a fight or flight or scream reflex in her. Because while she's sitting there screaming, she doesn't actually move. It yeah. seems to be a thing where she just like, so closes her eyes and screams. 
It's, it, she's like a hungry chiclet. And it, yeah. Just eyes closed, mouth open. And yeah, Shanna, yeah, yeah. Shanna runs off to go fly around with one of the, with the pod, I believe. Aaron convinces the head nurse, Kelsa, I think she's called, yeah. to release John as the arrows are flying. And she explains it because he has a weapon like mine, a pulse weapon that works. And Kelsa goes, why did you tell us about that before? Yeah, well, secret weapon, secret mission. Aaron rolls her eyes at John and says, yeah, that's a very good question, isn't it, John? <laughs> yes. Fighting the sewers. Okay, so you've been critical of Farscape firefights before. Yeah. How do you land on this one? It was a pretty good fight. Okay, good. Uh, I mean, okay, there were two fights. There was actually the fight before the scene where they throw the spear down and then there's like the big fight, which erupts afterwards. Yes. I think where he's like, John is like running around the battlements, shooting like through holes and Dargo's going like, what are you doing? It's like, making you look like an army. Uh, <laughs> Aaron's advice, like, yep. we only have two guns. Well, make it look like more. How? Well, keep firing, running backwards and forwards and pretend you're an army. Oh yeah, that's going to work. Just do it. Excuse me, ladies, man with a gun, coming through. Which is about as helpful as fly casual in uh, uh, Star is, Wars. Also, I noticed that the planet is actually just gone. But Disappeared. the rings, rings are still there. I yes. knew that that would. And Chiana, like, she takes a ship out, she takes one of the transports out to sort of fly through the ring. What's keeping them? What's keeping the rings? Yep. There's even a moon there. Yep. That but it's just not a planet. I mean. Okay, yeah. Okay. I see where you're going. So maybe some kind of singularity weapon. Right. Maybe well, there's like a thimble full of, of hyperdense oh, uh, neutronium. That, that could also work. I was like more thinking like if uh, time effects are only uh, affecting from the point that the back effect started happening. Ooh. Then, you know, as far as they're concerned, affects- the planet disappeared 500 years ago, but it only disappeared now because this is the point at which the, the time travel happened. Right. It's weird how the, the, the sort of continuity is localized because yeah. Moya isn't affected. No, they don't remember. They can look out the window and just see the planet changing in real time. I mean, that could be like the elasticity. You know? Like nothing that ever came from this planet affects anything that affects its uh, Moya or anything that happened to them before. So that makes sense. No. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on. If the planet was destroyed, how would the legend of Dacon have right, left this planet? That's, that's and a good point, yeah. That's something that Aaron brought with. Right. But she's in the past. Yeah. So, not a problem for the people of... Well, whatever. Or, yeah. It's, it's timey-wimey. It's yes. timey-wimey, spacey-wacy. Uh, so, they make a fantastic final stand. Dargo, Aaron, and John. John and Aaron with pulse pistols, and uh, uh, Dargo with one of the, those sort of crossbows without the bow part. Yes. That's really kind of cool. Are holding off the last of the, the Venek horde that are coming through the door. It's, it's really, really cool. It reminded me a lot of the Shadow Depository. It was a fantastic fight. And while Stark is waving his uh, hands around and looking through the, uh, the audio tour helmet, <laughs> sorry, he sees that things more or less return to normal. And they figure, like, okay, we've sent a peace offering back. As long as everybody here is gone, we'll be fine. Like, the yeah. world is going to return to normal. It's back. It's back. It's back. No death. If we jump out here, everyone is going to be fine. It's just going to be the women and the children here. Yeah. And there's not going to be, everything's going to return back to normal. I had the impression that this happened after a commercial break again, just like the previous episode. They're in terrible peril. And then after the commercial break, the peril is over. And don't don't do that too often, guys. Yeah. Stark goes off to find this portal, which had previously disappeared. Yes. Yeah, when, we when didn't the planet of the future was when gone, the there, was was gone. Like, there was nothing. Yeah. yeah, and then somehow it came back and, okay, let's... And nobody died? Okay, 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 let's go, let's go, let's go. And they tried to escape as quickly as possible, but d- d- despite Aaron's insistence, John uh, uh, wants to go and talk to Kelsa, explain to her that we have to go, you'll be fine as long as there aren't any soldiers here. Yeah. The next set predators, they kill. That's what they do, they don't have ceasefires. Please... At least leave your weapons. No, I, I can't. I'm sorry. You're gonna be safe. I promise. Dargo says goodbye to Citrina. Who says, will I ever see you again? Well, how long do you people live? Mother was 700 years, uh, cycles, yeah. Maybe I'll see you when you're growing up, yeah. Yeah, because it's a 500 cycle yep. uh, uh, gap. Where's Aaron? Uh, she should be here. She left ahead of me. Aaron! 
Erin, despite being the one who said that uh, they had to hurry, she actually goes back as well to tend to Dacon's yes. uh, uh, remains. Puts, puts his ranking insignia back on him, which she removed from him before because it was like a good target for snipers. Yeah. <laughs> Why you would want to remove the catering core rank insignia yeah, to protect someone from thing. whatever. You know what they say, it's like, try not to look important, the animal might be low on ammo. <laughs> she sees to, to his, his burial with military honours and they all jump back through Stark's face glows rift. Yeah. And we're back. And to a very muted atmosphere. Chiana has landed. On Moya, we registered every change as it happened. First, there were, there were millions dead. And then the planet disappeared, and then it came back. I almost crashed the pod trying to get it in here. Apparently, it was tricky to navigate through the planet being absent. And yeah. I guess we're lucky that she wasn't. In the atmospheres, you know, in the planet yeah. volume where, where they came uh, back. Yeah. And she's talking to Aaron about what has happened. And, well, we don't quite know what's happened, but they figured out that the time rift is now completely unstable and inaccessible, so there's no way back. And Chiana asks... So who's going to get him back on Moya? Aaron says, I'll do it. Apparently I, I something... like this business... Yeah, plan. apparently something happened. And we see the monument still standing there, and there's the holograms of the nuns and children... And Crichton sitting in a corner with one of those helmets looking dejected. Yeah, it was like letting sand slip through his fingers, which is uh, like a bit of a metaphor. The sand, sand of time, yes. yeah. And we learned that uh, from a, a peek into the helmet that when the Venex uh, actually managed to get their way into the monastery, that everybody was slaughtered. Because too many Venex had died, I need to give them something. Like, you yeah. you can't conceal this, uh, says, the, says the new general. Like, you have to... Where are the pulse pistols? Where are those peacekeepers? I can't control the horde, yeah. And she has nothing. She's just... They're, they're oh. gone, and they die with Crichton's name on their lips. Yes. Enough satisfying time to return to peace. Yeah. But with a dead monastery instead of a living monastery. Yeah. Uh, which seems... Well, yeah, it, it hits Crichton rather hard. He's talked to Harvey that I'm in a bit of a slump. Yeah. Like, he's reflected on his own behaviour. He got Zahn killed, mm -hmm. right? It was because of his decisions that they didn't get Zahn to the healing planet. Yeah. Yeah, and he's on a bad streak. Yeah. yeah. But he owns up to that. He, like, he literally tells, like, Aaron... I screwed up. You... We did what we could. And, and the last shot that we have is uh, Dargo uh, peeking through the bamboo and seeing the mark that Centrina left. Yeah. Oh, and John and Aaron, like, hugging and, and, and right. commiserating, like, yes. consoling one another. Her over the, the loss of her hero and obviously, like, this tragedy and him over his responsibility for this tragedy. Yeah. Although his plan was good. It just, like, you know, didn't go the way he... Imagined. It was kind of like messed up by the nun, had nun shooting, uh, shooting the uh, the general. Okay, let, yeah, we're getting into the, yeah. the sort of review part. I disagree. He should have told people. Right, yes, of course. His decision to do it in secret yes. was what caused this uh, Right, yeah, the plan, was, the, the plan was good, the execution was wanting. Yeah, no, totally. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, he chose this course of action. He's responsible for the outcome. It's uh, tough, tough break. You're saying that the plan wasn't bad. It was like the execution was bad. It was badly done. It wasn't a bad plan. Right. Well, the, yeah. yes. Okay. Well, if the secrecy is not part of the... Oh, hold on. Hold on. I don't know why I'm, I'm digging my little heels <laughs> in. Like, it, it's, it, it's nonsense. But, hey, Fair good enough. episode. Yeah, fantastic episode. Right? It's got us yelling yeah. about it. She gives me a woody. She gives you the willies. How's your willies in your wood? <gasps> okay. I just got that. Do you remember how Jenna, in her synopsis, talked about Crichton gets a woody? Yeah. Woody is the name of the, the sort of oh, cowboy yes. to toy in Toy Story, and that's why he has Andy on the boots of Harvey. Wow! Woody, yes. Well, <laughs> I must say that Harvey's cowboy boots would have been one of my candidates for a Woody, and I didn't even realize that before <laughs> the... Uh... <laughs> but it, it's going to have to go to Dargo in the, in the first scenes when they're riding yeah. the master. I, I, I really loved how Dargo gets to be uh, competent and skillful and 
he, he, he doesn't try to do his bullying way of like, do as I say. He's, he's like, he kind of glories into in the fighting, which is, you know, fair enough for a warrior, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. But he, yeah, yeah, he's a competent, skilled man. And I, and, and of course, the, the eye rolling that, uh, <laughs> Uh, Anthony Simcoe. Simcoe, yes. Oh, during one of the battles, there was a good bit where uh, John was up on the battlements and saw that Dargo was uh, was being attacked from behind and yelled Dargo and pointed his gun and Dargo goes whoa and then drops down to so that John could shoot when he was behind him. But I love I love Dargo saying whoa. Dargo, whoa. Speaking of shooting, I noticed that John's become a very comfortable shot. Yeah, he's not really like worried about killing people or. No, it's using that uh, pulse missile. One shot, one kill. He's a force to be reckoned with, as is, I mean, presumably Aaron's taken him to the range a few times. That makes sense, yeah. Do they have a range at all? Ah. Uh, oh, <laughs> uh, willy, 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 willy. Ooh, that's going to be a tricky one. Yeah. Um, if anything, it's going to be like why the rings are still there while the planet's gone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, you can have that it's one. It's a cheap ass one, but uh, that'll have to be it. Other than that, there's like nothing creeped me out, nothing bothered me. Right. So, same. Uh, I mean, I don't want this to be a willyless episode. Okay, yeah. No, my willy is for uh, 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 a, a critical sort of some plot complication that was set up and that is resolved during a commercial break. Right. That one's starting to bother me a bit because we had that okay, yeah, yeah. with the wormhole travel and we had it again with, oh, suddenly the time thing is back and let's move on. Yeah. And yes, I get it. It's, it's expedient. It's not really earned. Fine, you get a few of those, but don't lean on it too much. Yeah. And your Woody? I mean, that's really tricky. We have some really great moments. The planet is gorgeous. I loved Stark's impersonation of Zan. <laughs> As Zan always says, do right by the wrong. God has helped us all along. He even does the sort of sort of benediction. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Much to uh, Aaron's chagrin, I noticed that. She like she, Aaron was not happy with him doing that. Yeah, very good. I love Dacon. I love the hunky Catman, of course. I think my Woody's going to go to Tammy McIntosh. Oh. For, yeah. like, deciding how Interons drink. <laughs> which oh, is yeah, just great. <laughs> that she was going to get high on Philip urine. That she, like, did this awful trick so she could fall in the mud and, and actually, like, play Emperor Cusco. And she, like, no one was having more fun and committing more to this highly fun and highly committed episode, I think, than Tammy McIntosh. So I think she's really yeah. like earning her place there. She's still, they're still trying to work her in, trying to figure out what her place is going to be, I suppose. Because as a character, series. she's still yeah. not likable, but I'm getting, you're getting to really sort of love seeing her. Yes, this is true. And that's the story so far, Scape. Please join us next time with episode 306, uh, Eat Me, in which the 50th Farscape episode is tough to digest. Self-reflection leaves John seeing double, and he finally has someone to play rock, paper, scissors with. Yes. You can support us at soulfarscape.com slash support. If you have a synopsis for an upcoming episode, you can send us that on soulfarscape.com slash submit. Next week, we'll be doing another fanfic. And if you'd like to send us a suggestion for a fanfic that we could read, you know, we like comedy somewhere around the, the 5,000 word mark. And please make sure that it's safe for K. So it can't be, uh, uh, it can't have spoilers beyond the episode that we've most recently uh, uh, discussed. You can send that to soulfarscape.com slash fanfic. I'm Kaki. I'm K. Soulfarscape, so good. Give me a home where the buffaloes roam, where the deer and the antelope play, where seldom is heard a discouraging word, and the skies are not cloudy all day. Home, home on the range, where the deer and the antelope play. Where seldom is heard a discouraging word And the skies are not cloudy all day Lovely